0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. This is the second part of the addiction series. Last time we talked to someone whose husband was addicted to pornography. This time we get to talk to someone who themselves was addicted to porn. So it's a different perspective. Hopefully, you find it valuable. There are some big takeaways, I think, from this, not only for addiction and that topic, but also life in general. And it's a good one. I think you'll like it. Thank you. Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. This is hopefully a valuable topic that sheds light on something that I think more of us deal with than we realize And today's guest is bravely sharing his story with addiction and so grateful that he's come on. And our guest today is Eric Gallup. Eric, how's it going? Good. Good. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that's a broad question. So go as wide and deep or not as you want to with it.
1: All right. I'm from Idaho Falls, Idaho. I'm a single father. I have five awesome kids. I love the outdoors, especially the mountains. It's my peaceful place. I've had some trials in my life, and I love to spread love and hope everywhere I go, showing others that they are loved and worthy of everything they deserve and want in their life. I work at a construction store, supply store, and I also am a life coach to help others overcome obstacles in their life. So
0: that's major, showing people that they're worthy, they're worthy of love. That's pretty deep, and it's so valuable. So what got you into life coaching?
1: (laughs) It's awesome. About four years ago is when my journey started of healing and feeling that love. And I've tried many things. Most recently was getting a life coach. And uh, it was something I fell in love with instantly. It changed my whole outlook on life and changed my life. And I knew that that was something I wanted to do. I wanted to share my story and help others overcome the obstacles in their life.
0: What is the biggest thing do you feel it's changed about your life? Could you pinpoint one thing? I know that's kind of hard, huh? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Total Um,
0: curveball to throw you.
1: No, I mean, it comes down to mindset, I think. Um, Just realizing that everything I go through is for my good. It can be the crappiest thing in life, but just realizing that I can either let it defeat me or I can learn from it and grow.
0: I love that mindset is paramount. It's so, so important. What was your mindset when you were younger, when you were growing up, what was your natural default mindset before it is what it is now?
1: I think it was just more of being told what to do. And mm-hmm. and so it was just it was this way or no way.
0: Yeah. As far as reacting to that, that context or that environment that you were in, what was your mindset as you reacted to that?
1: Uh, That I'm not good enough. I'm not Mm. worthy.
0: Yeah. And don't you feel like that's such a common mindset Mm, that so many people have? Do you find that in your work as a life coach?
1: Yes, for sure.
0: And so that's amazing that you're wanting to lift people up and let them know that they're worthy and they're loved and spread that light that you found yourself. So thank you for coming on again. I know that this is kind of a a deep, heavy topic. And so I want to get more into kind of your background and more about your journey, some more specifics about your journey. And do you feel like you've hit rock bottom before we get started?
1: Yes, I do.
0: So tell us about your rock bottom, what that looked like for you.
1: Rock bottom was getting divorced after 13 years of marriage. Mm, That's
0: tough. Did you feel like it was a slow burn? Was it sudden? What was the progression to the divorce like?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was slow and going on for a long time. And it was what I needed to finally realize I needed to do something with my life if I wanted to be better and have the life that I deserve.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you did get divorced... What was your initial reaction right after it happened?
1: Uh, That my life was over. Everything I had worked for was gone. I was losing everything that I loved and wanted in life.
0: That's huge. That's a huge moment in life. How did you lift yourself up out
1: of that? Took a lot of work. I mean, after my divorce, I... I mean, the divorce was the rock bottom, but after the divorce, it took me a while. Like I, I just went crazy. I started drinking. I started looking at pornography more. And I think it probably spiraled down a little more first. And then I was like, man, this is not the life I want. This is not what I'm here for. And that's when I was like, I got to change something. So I just started doing everything I could to learn about Love and recovery and any type of self-improvement that I could get my hands on. Recovery workshops, healing events, anything and everything.
0: Just give me it all, whatever you got. Yes. Awesome. So do you have any that stand out? Like anything in
1: particular that helps? Yeah,
0: like any, yeah, particular book or workshop or speaker, leader?
1: Uh, well, one of the guys that was one of the first pivotal changing points in my life, uh, was Mike Foster mm. and he's written a few books and, um, he does a recovery workshop and he's in California and I don't do normally do stuff like this, but, uh, he had a recovery workshop and I just decided to go. So <gasps> I flew out to you. California and attended his workshop and it was amazing. And it was his book. Um, it was called people of the second chance. I think it's been re-released now as you rise glorious. Mm. But that book is what really got me started my way of thinking to change and that I was worthy and deserved a second chance.
0: What a leap and what an investment that really paid off. That's incredible. Yes. So glad that you went.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Good. Wow. So tell us more about your relationship to alcohol and to substances and to pornography and all of that while you were down in it.
1: I was just looking for anything to numb my feelings from the world, to numb my pain that I was experiencing.
0: And I think that's what drives anybody to abuse anything, right?
1: Absolutely. Addiction is, you know, addiction's not uh, it's not the problem. It's because we're trying to fill this void in our life Exactly. Of love or whatever. And so we turn to something that yes, numbs yes, those feelings.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And I just did a podcast episode earlier this morning and we talked about that and I referenced, have you heard of Dr. Gabor Mate? No. What a guy, but he is a medical doctor now and he is an expert on addiction. And so he has a few books on it. And he was talking about just that. And I mean, I think that's a pretty common takeaway, hopefully, that most people by now realize that it's escapism and it's a void that people are trying to fill. Addiction is a mental health issue. And it's, I mean, so much more than that and so much more nuanced and deeper than that. And it's people trying to fill the void. And whatever they're trying to fill it with is their drug of choice, whether it's work, whether it's sex, whether it's porn, whether it's exercise, whatever it is, they're just trying to fill that void. And he talked about, The experiment, I don't know if you've heard about it, where they have rats and they put them in a cage and give them cocaine to prove that cocaine is an addictive substance, right? And so then they prove because then the rats start hitting that lever for another hit of coke and another hit of coke. And then they're like, see, it proves it cocaine is addictive. And so then some other scientists saw that and they're like, wait a second, let's consider the context here. You threw these rats into a cage and then gave them a substance. What if they were just trying to escape that awful condition that they were in? So let's put them into a better environment and one that's like fulfilling and happy and freeing for them and see if they're as addicted to cocaine and they wanted none of that cocaine. And it just goes to show it's it's the void that they're trying to fill. It's escapism. People just trying to escape the awful feelings that they don't want to feel, the feelings of shame, of guilt, of hurt, of all of that. Yeah. I know I've had a lot of people reach out expressing interest because pornography in general um, is a pretty controversial topic, don't you think? Yes, Some people are so for it. Some people think it's innocuous. It's no big deal. Some people are like, no, 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 no. That's evil. It's the worst. And it's a gateway and it's a slippery slope and don't get caught up in it. What was your view on it before you like started consuming it and watching it? And what is your view now?
1: (laughs) I think my view on it before was that it's bad and stay away from it. Mm, mm -hmm you know, it's not good. My view on it now, I think for me, it was more, it was more of my mindset. It was more of the shame that I was trying to numb and hide. Yeah. And so because of that mindset change, I mean, things only have power that you give them. Right. Sure. And yeah, so yeah. now I think pornography can lead to bad places. I think if you're using that as an escape, Uh, from your feelings, then that's not good.
0: Did you, what about when you were married? Did you ever watch it? Was it ever a part of your life at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just a little back history. So I was introduced to porn probably when I was 12 or 13 years old. Mm -hmm. It was in high school when life probably started getting like harder and crazier that I really started turning to pornography more so i mean it's been with me the better half of my life and so in my marriage yes it was it was there and it was something i struggled with all the time i had tried going to 12 step programs church things always something I struggled
0: with. From your perspective, because I know a lot of particularly women have reached out and expressed concern or curiosity about what drives mainly men. I mean, both men and women consume pornography, but especially women wanting to know about men, what drives them. And I mean, this circles back to our earlier conversation about trying to fill a void and trying to escape and all of that. But from your perspective, was it because you weren't fulfilled in your relationship? Was it more just that inner void that had nothing to do with your partner was completely independent of that or what was going on. I mean, I know that you kind of covered this, but just from that
1: particular angle, was it because you um, weren't
0: happy in a relationship? Did it have anything to do with your partner or no,
1: no. um, You know, I don't think it had anything to do with my partner be honest. It was Mm -hmm. something I grew up with and I learned early that I could use it to numb my feelings. And so I think, you know, it was more of just not facing life and uh, dealing with problems a healthy way.
0: Sure. So do you think that anybody, men and women, do you think that there's a way to watch porn, to consume porn in a healthy way or like in a balanced way? I mean, not that were saying that porn is the best thing ever, but is there a way to do it moderately? So do you think there's a healthy way and a balanced way to watch porn to where it doesn't impede on your relationship and it's all good? Or do you think that people should completely stay away from porn?
1: Uh, you know, I, I mean, that's
0: And I know it's an individual. And yeah. Definitely <laughs>
1: an, yeah. Definitely an individual thing. Um, sure. Sure. But... I think it could be used in a healthy way. I've never seen it that way. So I wouldn't know it from that way.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I've heard plenty of, you know, stories that it is. But yeah. for me, I know it's just, it was something that I was using to to avoid life. And so it was not healthy.
0: And that's all you can do, right? Is speak from your perspective. Yeah. I You being first introduced to it when you were 12, 13, that's pretty... S- Standard, right?
1: That is, yes. And Um, especially nowadays.
0: Yeah. And that's what I've heard. I have friends with sons, and, you know, that's what they've said and heard and observed with their kids. And do you think it's gotten younger and younger, or do you think it's about the same?
1: I think, I don't know if it's gotten younger, but I think it's gotten worse. And so Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's easier to find now. Back then it was magazines or, you know, whatever. Now everyone's got a tablet or something where it's just so readily available, uh, totally. easy to hide. You know, it's not a magazine that you're trying to hide somewhere. True. Um, and so I think it's just more spread.
0: Well, and you can find it even if you're not looking for it, right. You can just kind of <laughs> stop on it. Yeah. Just the wrong keystroke, man. And you're looking at something you don't want to be looking at, or maybe you do whatever you're into. I don't know, but <laughs> So how has that impacted your parenting? So you have five kids.
1: Yes.
0: And how has that impacted your parenting? Are you pretty protective of them?
1: No, not like that. I think the biggest thing that is impacted is just me being more loving, Mm. more open to their desires. Um, Because for me, it was just, it was more shamed. It was more shame driven for me and more Um, feeling like I wasn't Worthy and good enough and love. And um, so I would say the biggest impact on my kids has just been me being more open and loving to them, hopefully building that relationship so that they know they can talk to me about hard things.
0: Yes. Well, and that is a grassroots approach too, right? Because you're addressing that void. You're addressing the root cause, not just like the later manifestation or whatever issues come up from that void that they would try to fill with porn or drugs or alcohol or whatever so if you provide them with a stable loving accepting foundation a you're letting them know they're worthy and they're loved and then b i love how you're open to them approaching you to talk about quote unquote shame topics that they know that they can come to you with and so that you can clarify you can explain you can guide you can help resolve or let them know they're loved or what to do i mean that's such a good approach
1: yes
0: How has your parenting changed now that you've been on your journey and being a life coach now, has that reflected in your parenting at all? Or is it just kind of what you had said, just really focusing on loving and being there for them and being open?
1: I think it's, yeah, just the same, just loving them. I mean, like for me, I grew up in a religion that, you know, pornography was, was the end of the world. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I left, I ended up leaving that church a few years ago. And my son was, uh, you get baptized at eight into the church and he was, uh, I think he was 10 or something. And he had been taking the the missionary discussions and he ended up getting baptized into that church. And so I, I love that because people always ask me how I felt, felt about that. And for me, it's just that exact thing of loving him. Like he made that choice on his own and I love him. Because of that choice, regardless if it's something I felt like he should have done or not, I just, I'm able to love him and let him know that that's awesome that he's making that choice for himself. And so it's just, just that same loving openness for him to to do whatever he feels like he needs to do.
0: Isn't that incredible? I feel like that's, that's what a kid needs. I had that and I'm so grateful for that. Do you feel like you had that as a kid growing up, especially in the religion? Do you feel yeah, like your parents are open whew. or do you feel like they like nudged you towards, okay, whether maybe they did tell you directly what you're going to do, or did they kind of like nudge you like, okay, this is the right choice. You're going to make the right choice.
1: What was it like for uh, you? You know, it's interesting because I don't think it has anything to do with my parents hmm. uh, necessarily. It's hmm. the way that I internalize things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were times that, yeah, I, I didn't feel that love And that's probably where I got some of my shame and unworthy feelings, but I don't think it was something that, I mean, obviously it wasn't something they were trying to do. Sure. It was just what I took from it.
0: So where do you think that came from deep down to the core? Where do you think that shame came from? And that feeling of a lack of worth, that worthiness, if you were to really drill down into it,
1: I mostly believe it came from religion
0: Mm. So not necessarily what your parents were pushing on you, just the context in general, just the religion itself. What's your view on religion now as a whole?
1: (laughs) I don't don't really know.
0: And not that you have to have like a strong opinion. Yeah.
1: I think there's a lot of good in religion, Mm -hmm. but I think that there's a lot of bad in religion too.
0: Sure. Just like with people, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's just an individual thing that you have to find out for yourself.
0: Yeah. And it's not necessarily the religion itself and its teachings. It's more sometimes the execution or how people are
1: applying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've talked about some of the resources that helped you, the Mike Foster workshop and book. And what are some other inspirational or motivational or helpful resources that you had or that you would suggest to people?
1: I think learning in general is the biggest thing you can do. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Books, you know, um, workshops, programs whatever it is I started going to like energy healings like reiki uh, crystals like I just I really dove into anything and everything that I could try that would help me change my life and feel better
0: I love that there's such magic in that and just being open and experimenting and just trying things on and seeing what sticks and sometimes it does sometimes Mm. it doesn't yes and you never know what gem you're going to find and what's going to be a catalyst for further growth. I mean, it's all, it's all fodder for growth, but you never know, like what is going to be like a really valuable link for you to really.
1: Well, I think, yeah, I think the important, one of the biggest things is that one thing doesn't work the same for everyone. Yes, And so it really yes. is finding whatever it is that works for you.
0: Yes. And really using it not to mask, not to escape. Cause sometimes don't you think it can be another means of escape and people can be addicted to personal development mm. and it's tricky. And this is kind of like a tricky point to talk about. You can see yourself as broken and a continual project that you need to fix and continually develop and fix. And I am a lifelong major advocate for, like you said, continual learning, lifelong learning, lifelong growth, lifelong evolution. But also I think there needs to be a balance with that, like with anything and not using it to escape and to mask and to view yourself as a project, also accepting yourself as you are too. And I think there's such value in that and not just pouring everything into personal development, also sitting with yourself and getting to know yourself, you, just you, not how any teachings are telling you to get to know yourself, not how anybody is guiding you to, get to know yourself I think there also needs to be some independence from that too where you sit with yourself and you really get to know yourself and that I really really think can be transformative when you're brave enough to just sit with yourself yeah and face your thoughts and face your demons and face your (laughs) gnarly parts yeah do you have any messages for people that you would want to shout out like any parting words, anything that you would really want to leave them with?
1: Just that you are worthy of living your best life. You deserve love and worthiness. and it's, it's with inside you. You've got the power in you to do whatever it is you want to do. You just got to find it.
0: And how do you help people like as a life coach? How do you help them believe that and really internalize that? You can give them the tools, but they have to do the yeah, work of accepting and- it. Yeah
1: yes and that makes it hard that's probably the hardest part of being a life coach because yeah i just love everyone i mean after what i've been through like i'm just able to see people you know with love and know that they're capable, but all I can do is give them the tools and hope that they, something sticks with them.
0: Yeah. Do you find yourself having lows? Everybody has highs and everybody has lows. They just do. It's the human experience. What are your lows like now?
1: When you say that, it makes me think that they're not as low because- I like to think that I'm continually climbing up. And so when I think of a low now, it's not as low as it once was just because I know that I'm learning from it. I can use it. Yeah. Um, So it just doesn't feel as low, I guess.
0: Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me if this resonates with you. I'm with you and there are peaks and valleys, but the valleys don't Seem like valleys. They're yeah. maybe just not as high as the other points, but there's still that elevated mindset where you're like, I feel that this is maybe not an ideal situation or an ideal feeling or whatever, but it just doesn't have power over you. It's like you're distanced or removed from it or. You're just like it's it's not as high as the other point sure but it doesn't feel like a low yeah does that resonate um, is that how it is with you
1: yeah absolutely yeah. and when you said that it made me think how before my lows were like these just dark valleys yeah. like, you know yeah. but now even now even the valleys are beautiful yes exactly
0: yes I love that you said that I was yes I. that's what I was going to say yes even like there's such beauty in all of it and there's like that just appreciation and acknowledgement of the beauty just like carries you through all of it where you're like god I just even love just love life and even like these points that aren't as high as the others I still love it and there's still such beauty in it and it's such a weird it's really hard to describe to somebody I guess who hasn't ever experienced that yeah but yes there's such beauty in all of it and that is such a liberating feeling it's such an empowering feeling it's such an uplifting transformative feeling I mean it's a game changer just changes everything
1: yeah Yeah,
0: and then you just want everybody else to have that right
1: yeah
0: yeah well thank you for the work that you do I love following you on Facebook because you always You do. You have those uplifting posts and they're hard hitting in the best way where they're thought provoking.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Okay. So people can find you on Facebook, right? Yes. Under Eric Gallup. Yes. Perfect.
1: I have a page called curative coaching. C-U-R-A-T-I-B-E-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.
0: Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Well, thank you, Eric. So much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your experience. It means a lot. Hopefully it helps people. I mean, at least give them something to think about outside of their perspective if they themselves have never experienced it. But I mean, we all have a story and yours is pretty powerful. So yeah. Thank you.